Hello and welcome to the Endurance Coach Podcast. My name is Mark Laithwaite and I'm here today with my co-hosts, ultra runner and sports psychologist, Dr. Ian Bordley, and also with sports injury specialist, Mike James, aka the Endurance Physio. Each week, we'll be telling you what's new in the world of endurance sports. We're going to have some amazing guests on the show and we'll be discussing how you can reach your true potential on race day. So sit back and relax. We hope you enjoy the show. Boys, I hope you're both well. This uh, podcast has been far too long in the planning. I'd like to blame you two, but I'm unfortunately I've got to blame myself for this. Uh, but it is very good to be back and speaking to you both. So, um, very autumnal up here, actually. Not weather's not bad today, but definitely a shift in the temperature and a shift in the feel. Now we have drifted into autumn. Mike, what's the weather? You're, you're further south, Mike, so it's obviously pretty tropical i guess where you are isn't it yeah it's so tropical that myself and the boys were out walking today in wellies and waterproofs yeah yeah nice just for uv protection absolutely yeah 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 <laughs> uh ian what's the weather like where you are pretty mixed here as well unfortunately yeah it's uh, much like august which is like you say uh, autumnal <laughs> and not yeah. summer like yeah and it's interesting because there's there's still a, it's like a late season, isn't it, for endurance athletes now because events have started to take place and there's actually quite a lot of events in September and it's this, the season has been compressed into one month and everybody's desperate to race and open water swims and triathlons and fell races and everything else. But the water temperature is, uh, is definitely dropping a little bit. Have either of you done any up water swimming in the last couple of weeks? I have. Yeah, I've been doing a bit uh, through the summer as well, mainly to uh, to get Emily's swimming started again. Before the pools reopened, we started doing quite a bit of open water. Um, yeah, it's certainly starting to cool off a bit, isn't it? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. we've done loads um, for the same reasons as Ian. It meant the kids could keep their swimming up. Um, also got into paddleboarding this summer, which has been something different. Um but it's, it's eight years today that I did my um, round jersey solo swim. So that's 11 hours in eight degree water. So actually, I'm still finding it, I'm still finding it quite warm down here. <laughs> yeah. How far is it round jersey? So the swim's a 41 mile swim, but um, it's tide assisted. So you probably swim about 30, you probably swim about, it's a really good precursor to a channel attempt because it's about the same time and distance, uh, same sort of swim distance, even though your cumulative distance sounds much more impressive. You're, um, yeah. you put, there's, there's on the northeast corner of the island, you're slingshotted round for, for a good 5K, 10K there, and uh, things are flying past you the opposite way, and you're not really, you're swimming at the speed you wish you could swim at. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, I mean, I think. Um, uh, as is tradition, we should open this with a Tweets of the Week. And for people listening in who aren't sure what Tweets of the Week are, this is where we uh, recap the last few tweets that we've been sending out. And um, you've got to try and do it in 60 seconds. And to be honest, the content of the tweets is kind of irrelevant. We're not interested in quality. It's all in the timing. Because we have to get it within 60 seconds or as close as. Now... Uh, I can see here on my Skype video call that uh, Mike's been scribbling notes furiously, and it's like I think he's working this timeline out, like to you know to the to the millisecond here, to the millisecond. So, uh, are we going to open with you, Mike? Yeah, cool. Is, is, is there any in there about passive stretching? Not this month, no. I thought I'd give the listeners a break for a change. All right, just checking, just checking. Right, I've got a stopwatch on this, so as soon as you start, clock. You've not got a stopwatch there with you, have you, Mike? No. Nope. You better not be nothing. cheating. No. Nope. Okay, that's fine. Just checking. Okay, 
ready to roll. Whenever you're ready, away you go. Cool. My first tweet of the week is a um, physio-based one. This week, Kelly Holmes, the Olympic champion, was showing for self-receiving some pretty aggressive, painful treatment, and it caused a massive Twitter storm. A, about the treatments they were get, she was getting, but B, about the chat, the way to challenge people as far as being a celebs and the responsibilities. That was an interesting one that's still floating around if anybody wants to follow it. Second one was something I put out about the three to see rule. This is where I get athletes returning from injury to repeat a session three times before we progress. And the final one was a really interesting one from today about the virtual London Marathon. A couple of controversial things coming out of it. Some snobbery whether people should get a London Marathon finishers medal for doing a virtual one somewhere else. And then also they've released in the last couple of, of days that you can get a qualifying time for next year, even though you may already have got one and missed out. So should people who've already qualified be made qualify again instead of an automatic deferral? That's me. Ooh. Do you want to know? What? Have a guess. I think I went over. Not by much, but I think I went over. 65 seconds. That's uh, not a bad effort, that 65 seconds. Very close, very close. A sentence away. And that well, is an interesting point before we come on to Ian's tweets of the week. Yes, yeah, should they really need to do another qualifying time? Because, of course, we had this with Lakeland 100. So if you want to qualify for Lakeland 100, you have to have a qualifying time in the two years beforehand, you know, certain criteria. But is that really fair when people couldn't take part in any events? Because there's not, there's not been any events. So we extended our criteria to, to anything that took place in 2018 or 2019. You know, so you, uh, that, that was a situation. So just to clarify that, and so for qualifying times for what, good for age or for elite places, for the championship start, they have to have posted another qualifying time. Looks like, yeah, I didn't go into the weeds of it myself, but yeah, it looks like that those who would have deferred over would have to re-qualify again for next year. And it is an interesting one because I think... On one hand, part of me says, you know, if you've qualified, you've qualified. But then if you qual if that qualifying run was actually now three years away from last year, then yeah. at the same at the same time, are you in the shape that you were in to qualify three years ago? So it's an interesting one. I think there should be a time scale, and if you if you're okay within a certain period, you don't have to redo it. Um, but likewise, no one else has gone in, no one else has had the ability to replace you because yeah. they haven't been yeah. racing either. So here's a tough one. Yeah, 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 tricky one. Ian, do you need to do any stretching before you start? Bit of limbering up? Uh, on past performances, probably, yeah. <laughs> All right, okay. When you start, I will start the clock when okay. you're ready. Okay, so my tweets of the week. Um, first of all, Dan Nash, who's got a place for the elite race at London Marathon, so very topical based on what we're just discussing. Um, he's been putting out some tweets of his weekly mileage, but all the individual sessions and also what um, he's targeting with each of those sessions. So those have been really uh, interesting. So it's good to see that from an elite perspective. Uh, another one, Alex Hutchinson. Um, he, uh, he was basically reviewing an article that was indicating you should stop counting your weekly mileage as an indicator of the stress on the body and proposing other alternatives um, to the weekly mileage and, discussing why people are obsessed with mileage still when there are better metrics. And then also one by uh, John Kelly, who did his grand, grand, uh, sorry, his grand round. Um, he's been putting out a series of tweets about that. Um, and that's been really interesting, getting insight onto his... Um, so he did the Paddy Buckley, Bob Graham and Charlie Ramsey and then cycled in between each of those. Uh, first time he did it, he, he failed to get around, but he's managed to successfully do that after having done the Pen Am Way this year. Um, so that was really in interesting too. That's me done. Ooh. Go on, do you have a guess? Same what as Mike. Think? Slightly Same. outside it. So, uh, 70 seconds, 110. Mike did 65, you did 70. I think that yeah. might be a personal best. It is a personal best. It's normally about four minutes. Yeah. Um, yeah, interesting. We're talking about the... Um, Again, with the Paddy Buckley's and that, the uh, stuff like that and doing all the different rounds of personal challenges, which is something that we're going to come on to. And we've seen a lot of that this year, haven't we? Races not been available. It's been the year of the personal challenge. 
Um, but also, I, I also follow, um, is it Dan Nash, did you say? Yeah, Dan Nash, yeah. Yeah, he's, is he somebody involved with Welsh Athletics? Uh, yeah. Sports scientist, isn't he? He's a PhD student PhD down in Cardiff student. with exercise physiology, and it's really interesting because he was going to be one of my tweets, and then he's someone that I think is probably creeping up the list for us to get on here as well at some point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've been following uh, it, th- those tweets as well. They're interesting. Like, say, his weekly mileage and his, um, yeah, his weekly mileage down. and his individual sessions. And then he, he says, this is why I'm doing them. And he adds, like, a physiological, yeah. uh, uh, some, you know, like a kind of what the benefits are physiologically, doesn't he? You know, I'm doing this for fat burning economy or I'm doing this for VO2 max or lactate threshold tolerance or whatever it may be. Yeah, but, uh, yes. his nutrition he's got in there. So some sessions yeah. where he's specifically taking on board the nutrition that he will do in the race to sort yeah. of um, train the stomach. So, yeah, now they've been really interesting. Good, good, yes. We should definitely approach him. He's done some ultra as well, so we should definitely get him on. I think he's done, he did the uh, 50K World Championships last year and got bronze or something like that. He cool. might hold the GB record for that. So. Yeah, the study as well, the study that Ian mentioned about the uh, tracking your mileage, uh, I know most of the authors of that one as well, so we should... Probably think about getting yeah, some yeah. of them on as well. Yeah, some good authors on there, yeah. yeah. Yeah, cool, cool. Okay, super. Well, you need a stopwatch. Yeah. <laughs> Have you got a stopwatch there, Zam? Because I am ready. Yeah, I've got I can tell you. Okay, okay. I'm actually on Twitter now with my tweets. Spoiler so, alert, though, Mark. You know we're going to tell you 72 seconds, whatever you do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yes, yes, I only that from the start. So, uh, are you going to count me in like a 3-2-1 yeah. or do I have to go? I'm, I'm, you I'm, start, I'll Do I just start? You start whenever you're ready. Okay, okay, here we go. Okay, first of all is a tweet. I retweeted something by an old friend of mine, Simon Roxburgh, um, and uh, he... A video of him cycling up the Great Orm. He's in the uh, Great Orm Goats Tri Club. And there's a great video which kind of went a bit viral of him complaining about uh, litter on the Great Orm as he was cycling up there with lots of bleeping of uh, words in there. So I can't repeat those words, but it was a very, very poignant video. Um, and then I put a tweet out because we've got a pup, uh, Springer pup called Dibber. And we've got an older dog called Joss who's... Uh, who's 10 years of age now, and he's not getting on with the pup at all, but finally they seem to be getting on pretty well. Uh, I put out another picture because my daughter, Cora, who is six, went back to school. So rather than putting a back-to-school picture on, I put a picture of her first pair of Walshies, um, which Walsh shoes are, you know, obviously, that you know, steeped in tradition. I'm so proud of my six-year-old girl to see her go back to school wearing a pair of Walshies. And then finally, I'll be honest, I know I'm off now. I just don't care, to be honest. I know I'm over the time, so I'm just going to carry on. <laughs> Finally, just a quick one, which I went to see my mum and dad, and I haven't lived in my mum and dad's house for 25 years, and what I want to ask you is, why do I still walk through the back door and have to check the cupboards and the fridge before I do anything else after 25 years? When does that stop? Boom, that's me done. Go on. <laughs> well, it's not 72. <laughs> <laughs> One minute, 25.7. One minute, 25.7? Yeah. yeah. That is, I'll be honest, if that's you, better than I thought. I wish I was not giving up in the middle, because I think I could have hit on. If you hadn't given up, you were bang on. If you'd have stopped after Cora and the, and the Walsh's, you, you'd have, you were bang on a minute. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's, still you know, brought your, it's brought your average down still, though, I think. It's brought me average <laughs> down. <laughs> <laughs> Did, uh, did either of you two ever suffer from that? You know, when you go around to uh, going around to your mum and dad's house and feel like you have to look in the fridge in the cupboards before you do anything else. Yeah, still do it. Still do it. Yeah. So, sad, thing is, sad, sad thing is, my mum still buys the same thing, expecting I still like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Shout out to Walsh. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to Walsh's as well. The, the famous Bolton running shoe. Um, Absolutely. Plastic fouling. We love. I had Walsh's when I was a kid. Local sports club, uh, local sports shop. 
Howard Ratcliffe Sports in St. Helens. Used to be a stockist of Walsh. Rugby boots, running shoes, everything. Everybody ran in Walsh those days. Uh, he, reminiscent. You're not really a runner unless you've got a pair of Walshies or had a pair of Walshies. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what I think. Um, I know it's a bit, it might be a bit far north for you, but do you know those those people up at uh, Great Orm, the Great Orm Goats? Do you know those? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so I, um, I lived on Anglesey for two and a half years when I was in the military. Yeah. So not, know it up there really well, yeah. When we very first started organising events, our very first events were we, we organised these local duathlons and it was a three-mile run, a ten-mile bike on the local ten-mile time trial circuit in a three-mile run. And this was, well, it's probably talking 15 years ago now, the first events we organised these epic events. And my dad used, my mum used to bake cakes and my dad would bring the cakes in his car and he was known as the cake man. And we'd get like 100 people turn up and do this little duathlon series and that was how epic events started. And Simon and uh, Rianne Roxburgh, uh, and they're both very good triathletes, aren't they? They've both like, won national age group medals. Simon and Rianne used to drive over from Wales to do those events. And that's how, how I know them. And I'm still bumping to them at events now. But, um, but yeah, cracking couple. Um, so, uh, anyway, I'm waffling now, aren't I? So, anyway, let's move on a little bit. Because, interesting thing that, we, uh, that um, Ian mentioned, the year of the challenges because with not many races around, there has been lots of challenges that people have been doing, whether it's cycling or running or swimming. Um, so I bet the Bob Graham Round Club has had a fair few people attempt that this year because there's nothing else for people to focus on. Um, what kind of things have you been seeing, Ian? That's, uh, there's been a lot of social media stuff. I'm just trying to get a list here of challenges and records that we've seen broken this year. Shout them out. What have we had? Well, one of the most impressive and most recent one was uh, Beth Pascal on the, uh, the the female record oh, yeah. um, for the for the Bob Graham. I was actually in the lakes and I, I was sat in the round um, having a burger and a beer that night when when she came in. Actually, so they're all out in the uh, in the centre of Keswick. Um, so that was one of the most impressive ones. But there's been one or two that are um, a little bit self-created as well obviously because they are personal challenges so that that grand round is obviously the first time the only person that i know of that's uh, completed that i think someone's just done the record for um all the monroes as well haven't they um which is yeah. obviously a huge one um i don't know that guy's name though but i did see that one that was a recent one um there's obviously the wayne wrights um, yeah, and the female record yes yeah, sabrina yeah. Leger on that one um, who, which other ones? Who, what's it, who we had is just um, smash the jog as well. Yeah, running. Male and female have, have yeah. gone on that one. Yeah, made national news that didn't it? Yeah. And then we've got all sorts of things. At the uh, Mike, what what ones have you seen that have uh, caught your eye? So most of the same there. The one that I've tracked really closely recently was Reese Jenkins from Pegasus Runners. Yeah shifted his, his bad water cancellation and ended up doing the Wales Coastal Path in, I think it was 19 days, 870 miles, fastest known time for that one. Um, as we were talking about off-air, it, it's as well as the amount of people who've made the switch to do these challenges, what's really resonated with me is the amount of records being set. Yeah. So, yeah, so not, yeah. not only are people switching and yeah, refo yeah. refocusing their goals for the season, but they're doing it with four months attached to it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's amazing. Oh, Pennine Way record as well. What went twice, twice. in a week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah Donny Campbell was the one that just broke the record for the uh, 282 Monroes. Um, yeah. yeah, completed it in 31 days, 23 hours. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's pretty awesome. Who did I recently see? Are they going to do the Paddy Buckley, the Bob Graham, and then the... Um, Monroe's or something was it, and they're gonna and they and they were linking them all together. I know. Um, so I saw the, that, that was John Kelly in the Grand Round. He cycled in between them. That's right, and he cycled between, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've and seen then, a, do you know Gainer Pryor, who's won the Lake yeah. Hundred Show? Yeah, yeah. uh, Tor, uh, uh, Torres Skiddo. Yeah. Um, I'm sure I saw, saw on Facebook the other day. So she's doing. I think it's Ben Nevis, Scarfell Snowden, and running between. Yeah, well, that's what Alex Staniforth, who we're yeah, planning to right. interview soon, has just done. 
I think he just missed the the record by about an hour. Yeah. Um, but but completed that. That's. Yeah. I mean that's. A, it, I don't know which is tougher to to do the three rounds and then cycle in between, or to because really the the challenge there is the running in between, isn't it? Yeah, not, not really climbing the three peaks. So. I also saw a guy the other day, was, yeah, running um, uh, running the coast. I'm sure he's running the coast of the whole of the coast of the UK. Maybe I'm just making this stuff up now. I don't know, but <laughs> there's there's just so many people doing these amazing challenges and on the bikes and running. Just and and that's kind of I guess that's replaced racing this year, hasn't it? These people having to go at these long-standing records. And of course, with social media and tracking, dot watching, all that, it's it, it's kind of drawn it's drawn a lot more attention, I think, as well, hasn't it? Because that's yeah. you know, so it's been amazing to watch, and um, well, it brings us in nicely, of course, to our guest of today, Craig Burrows. Um, Craig Burrows, I believe, is a friend of yours, Mike, as well, isn't he? He is, yeah, yeah. And was it last week? He, he, he set the record. It was last last weekend, yeah. Yeah, last weekend, Craig actually set the record for cycling from the south tip to the north tip of Wales. Set a record for uh, for the, the cycling record, and um, and he is indeed our guest today. So let's uh, let's dial him in and get him on the show. Craig, welcome to the podcast. Hi there. Thank you for having me. No worries at all. Now we've just been talking about how 2020 has been the year of the personal challenge and we spotted you on social media smashing the record for cycling from the south tip to the north tip of wales which made you a perfect candidate for this podcast <laughs> and, and it just so happens of course that, that you know mike mike knows you um, so it's great to have you on the show but i'm going to hand over to mike now to lead this part of the interview um as uh, because he knows you a bit better so uh, we'll ask the relevant questions Thank you. Cool. Thanks, Mark. So the record is the bonus of getting Craig on. I just thought it's been long enough being the sole Welsh rose stuck between you two English thorns. Oh, yeah. So we'd, we'd upgrade the podcast with a fellow Taff, fellow hometowner. So, um, but yeah, Craig and I go back a couple of years, um, helped Craig with a niggle a while back, and we've stayed in touch ever since. Now, for the listeners, Craig is an accomplished Ironman. Craig, I think last year was 33rd overall in Ironman Wales and was sixth in his age group. The corner quest is still the goal, Craig, I think, isn't it? It is, yes. It's eluding me. Yeah, and 2020, again, was another year we were looking like things were going well. But as we've discussed on the previous episodes and was, as we're all chatting about these days is COVID came along through a spanner in everybody's works. And you made a shift. You refocused your season. And I followed you now in the build-up for it, but, but particularly now in the last weekend when you went for it. And for those who don't know, just explain to everyone the challenge you, you went for. Sorry about that. My uh, <laughs> headphone went a bit skew-if then. No problems. Just saying, for those, for those who don't know what, what we went for last week, t- tell the listeners about the challenge itself and what it involved. So um, I did a bit of research just well, a couple of weeks back. Ironman Wales was officially cancelled after speculation. So I thought I needed a challenge. I looked into a few records. I thought about running uh, the Offers Dyke from north to south. That was one of my original thoughts. Um, and then I came across a couple of websites at the World Ultra Cycling Association. And there was a record on there from south to north Wales. So I had a look. I thought, well, could I? The current record was 13 hours, and I thought, well, could I? Could I do that? I did a bit of research into the route, etc., and um, it happened to coincide really well um, with a bit of fundraising that I'd planned on doing anyway for uh, to raise money for uh, bowel cancer research. So I tied the two in together, really. Mm. Now you, the 13 hours was was a relatively formidable challenge, and you managed to squeeze inside that by just four and a half hours. Um, now the interesting stats here that, that blow me away straight away is you were pretty much averaging a touch over 20 mile an hour for a touch under nine hours so you got home in 8.57 for the 180 miles which on any road would be impressive but that's not a straightforward road that's not a flat road <laughs> so what was, what was the elevation and, and the sort of demands of the route itself other than the 180 miles 
Um, so the elevation was actually bang on, strangely, the same as Ironman Wales, um, but spread over an extra 60-odd miles, 70-odd miles. So it's not it's certainly not flat. Um, the worst bit about it all was I was banking on a southerly or western southerly wind because we never have northerly winds. Um, and actually it turns out that my clever little lap told me I had a 97% headwind the whole way up and I had a 3% tailwind right on the last mile finish because we came back on myself. Um, so it was the wind was the real killer all the way up. It, it just never seemed to go away. So what was the what was the time scale we had from making the decision to switch your training for that until race day? Um, probably around four weeks. It was the start of the summer holidays. I decided to do it. Uh, well, about six weeks then. And from the start of the summer holidays to the end, I had to sort of fundraising out. I had a kit made. Um, I did all the admin, actually, in that six weeks holiday. Cool. So it was a very tight turnaround. So training-wise, we didn't switch too much on the training then? No, not really. Um, we obviously went into lockdown in March. Um, being a school teacher, I haven't set foot. I think I've been in once since March. So I've had plenty of time to train, really. That's all I was doing. I don't have children at the moment. Um, my wife is extremely easygoing and... I pretty much just trained like a full-time athlete. I think I was averaging 18 hours a week all through March, April, May, and June um, in the hope, really, that Ironman Wales would still be on. I was convinced we'd all be back to normal by September, but sadly, that's still not the case. I don't think it would be normal for a while. So, no, there wasn't much change. Um, I was doing a lot more Zwift racing, which I know sounds very odd, um, but I was really enjoying the Zwift racing, which was much shorter, sharper stuff. And I, I was finding I was really rubbish at it to begin with. Um, I was I was getting dropped on on the, the little climbs and I was getting dropped on the on the punchy bits. And so my training actually changed a lot just for that mainly. Um, so I wasn't doing much longer stuff. I, I didn't really do any longer rides until the, until the summer months, until we were allowed to socialize then with one person outside our household. And then I'd go on a few longer rides with friends then. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a few, there's a few questions on the tip of my tongue to do with the psychology of going longer than you've trained for, but I'm going to leave that for Ian. I'm not going to steal his thunder on that one. Um, now it's eight years today that I did quite a big solo challenge, and I posted today on online about the success of the long solo challenges is all to do with the support crew. So. I know, following your journey, what you had in support on the day. Tell everyone a little bit about that. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you've asked that, actually, because it often goes a little bit unnoticed, the support crew. And um, I had my wife, who follows me everywhere anyway, um, but this time she had to because I had to have somebody in the car. And I had her brother, Sam, and his partner, Emily. So I had to have a certain amount of crew. I had to have um, somebody who wasn't related to me uh, in the car behind so they, they were all brilliant. So they followed me all the way up, all the way up the A470, up the A roads, right the way through the middle of Wales. And the worst part was actually the, the main road from Wrexham into Rill. It was four o'clock, three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. And the roads were really, really busy. It was awful. Uh, that was the bit I'd love to have skipped out if I could have done. But no, they, they were absolutely fantastic. And it's not just those three on the day. I've had um, the surgeon who helped my wife's uncle in his sort of through his battle with cancer he's been in touch to help me fundraise for them and, and to, he's actually coming into school to speak to the, the students about it um my my parents have been great everybody everybody's just been fantastic and and i originally set my fundraising challenge as a thousand pound and i had a real moral dilemma setting it a thousand pound i've never asked for money to do a sporting event before i'm not really good at asking for money and um, we're almost over £7,000 now in six weeks. So I'm speechless, really, by everybody's generosity. They're just amazing. Mm. And then performance-wise, what are you, you going to take from this to translate back into normal training, hopefully, for next season? Um, it's, it's, it's quite difficult, actually, because I'm, I'm quite a slow burner. I've, I've had incremental improvements over six or seven years, and I know endurance sport is all about that, but I've, I've never seen one season where I've just gone, boom, that was brilliant. But I think physically, I'll probably take on the fact that even when I don't think I can do something, my body is capable of doing it. There were very, very dark moments on that ride, and... I think the biggest thing to come out of it all is, is definitely the mental, mental aspect of it. Um, 
I have done a few 150 mile rides before, but they were with, I think I had three Greg stops <laughs> and a few other little stops here and there. And I was with a friend, so you can tuck in behind them. I had good company. I was chatting all the way, but being, being solo for 180 miles is, is really tough on, on your, on your mental state, I think. And body-wise, now now it's done. Obviously, it's a long time in that position. It's a long time in those four weeks before. How are we physically feeling afterwards? Oh well, I know I, I messaged you, didn't I, shortly before about my um, my hip, but my knees afterwards were awful. Um, so it's probably I can have a little look at my saddle position. Maybe it's a touch too low. It might just be the fact that I'm not used to cycling 150 miles. <laughs> and. Uh, it was, in, it was into a headwind, so maybe I was grinding a little bit more than normal, but my knees were in agony. Um, generally, the body was okay. I've just been exhausted. I've just wanted to sleep all the time. Um, and I think rec- I need to recover now. I plan to have a sort of m- an easy month of just doing very little. But body-wise, my hips and my knees are hurting. But um, I, I know a good physio, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come and visit him at some point soon. Awesome. Cool. I'm going to pass you over to Ian if he's got any questions on the psychology of it all yeah thanks mike uh, it's certainly a few things that came to mind there just in uh, in those discussions i mean i think firstly it'd be interesting to hear a little bit more about the build-up because i think mike mentioned there and you mentioned yourself as well craig in terms of this being something quite different um from challenges that you've taken on before so i wondered if there's anything you did specifically in the preparation sort of to, to overcome the, the mental challenges and to prepare yourself is there anything that you you do normally in preparation for events that you might be able to utilize for this challenge um well yeah so my usual distance is is usually ironman so i am used to riding long and i'm used to sort of running off the bike which it does help when you know you've got something something else to do um i didn't have that option this time i knew ironman sort of breaks it up you know after the bike you've got the run so mentally you know you've got something else to come but this this felt like a real slog um, I did do two rides of 180 miles, but over two days. So I, d- I did a long, I did 110 miles the one day, quite late in the, I finished late in the afternoon. And then I did the next ride of 70 miles early-ish in the morning. So just, just to try and get that distance up without too much strain on the body. Um, but a- apart from that, no, I, I, I was holding a lot of my sessions. I was holding the aero position for as long as I could. I knew that in order to keep a decent speed, I'd have to spend as little time out of the bars as I could. Um, but obviously with that, as you know, the problems with backs and, and aching shoulders and things come along. So I, it was just trying to sort of uh, condition my body then for, for what was coming. But I, I didn't really understand what was coming. And do you think those two long rides you did give you a bit more of an idea of some of the psychological challenges that you might have been facing on the day? Were they long enough to sort of start to bring, bring some of those mental challenges? Uh, no, I don't think they were. Um, no. I, I think, you know, with 100 miles, I, I, on, on the actual day itself, I got to 105 miles, and I thought, usually I'm wrapping this up now. I'm, I'm spinning the legs. I'm getting ready to get off. I'm getting ready to run. And I thought, good grief, I've got another 70 miles to go here. I, and it, it was... I can't underestimate, well, you, you guys obviously know, I can't underestimate how hard mentally it was as opposed to more so than physically. So that sort of brings us on to, to the jury in the event. Um, so obviously it seems as though you were overcoming quite, or you were coming across some really sort of severe mental challenges during. It sounds like psychologically you were trying to draw upon your nearest similar past experiences, which is the Ironman. But unfortunately, I guess that only gets you so far in a, in a ride of 180 miles. Um, like you say, and you start start thinking about that you'd normally be getting off the bike. Is that when you found the major challenges, or did some come earlier as well? Because I think was some of the major elevation earlier in the ride. Yeah, I, I, there was a long drag from Pontypridd up to Brecon, um, because you're usually on the A470, you don't really realise it's it's quite a drag, but it is very long. And my first stop was going to be Brecon, uh, just at the bottom of Brecon, where so I'd, I'd had the speed then. Um, no, sorry, that's a lot. Um, it was going to be Story Arms, and then I would have the long downhill down to Brecon and around. But the car who was following me got caught up in traffic. They missed that stop, or we missed that stop. And 
once we got to the bottom of Brecon, that was my first stop. I refueled and we had a bit of a system going where I would quickly go to the loo. My wife would fill both my drinks up on the bike and then I'd carry on. But I didn't really take into consideration how hard it would be to eat. Um, I was working at a decent tempo then. I was working at roughly just above Ironman tempo and I was struggling to eat anything solid early on. So I did realize that I needed to wind it back in a bit. So I'd probably gone a little bit too hard for the first 50 miles to Brecon. Maybe the excitement and a few of my family and friends are around that area on the course spread out. So it was almost a bit too much adrenaline. And then it was just past Brecon and the, the wind got much, much worse. And I was starting to get a bit twitchy. And it's the, only then it dawns on you how long you've got left. Um, I, I'd been going for two and a half hours at that point, knowing that full well that I probably had another seven hours, seven and a half hours left in the saddle. So psychologically, how did you sort of cope and, and deal with those situations where obviously, I think you mentioned, I think the phrase might have been a few dark moments. So, you know, how did you deal with those? Um, I sing a lot to myself, which sounds very odd, but I, I do constantly sing. Um, I'd break the, I'd, I started chunking the ride then into, into blocks of 15 miles. So every 15 miles, if I needed to stop, I'd have a quick stop. Um, I, made, I was trying to sort of do, do some little drills in, in my head. So every time there was a flat, I would get down on my bars and I'd stay there for as long as I could. And then every time my speed dropped below a certain amount, which was usually a hill, I'd come up and I'd have a little rest. So I, I broke it up that way. So I'd be down on my bars for a certain amount of time. And then I'd only come up out of my bars to climb up a hill. Um, I knew when I stopped, my average speed dropped by about 0.2 of a mile an hour. I know it's not much, but um, I knew that if it dropped below 20, I'd struggle to get it back up. Just, just mentally, I think, to push it back up over that 20 mile an hour barrier would have been tough. So I made sure that every time I stopped to go to the loo or quick refill, I wouldn't let it drop below 20. And then I'd get straight back on again then. Um, I suppose the other aspect is I'd raised so much money for charity. At the back of my mind, it was that that was keeping me going. And whilst the, the, the 13 hours itself was a, was a reasonably um, tough target, the 180 miles was tougher. And solo again on top of that, I think, made it even harder. If, if I'd had a partner, the day would have flown by. Yeah, no, I was going to, there's a couple of things that I was, uh, I was going to mention there. One was the, sort of the motivation and whether you drew on. Um, the charity fundraising and obviously the, the importance of the event for you from that perspective but also in terms of what you've, you've said there in the, the way in which you cope with those situations that, that, that sort of breaking it down is, is certainly a, a common strategy people use and break the event down but it seems as though you were trying to sort of take control at certain times as well so if, if this happens then I'll lift the intensity or I'll, I'll get into a different position so that um, you're focusing on the sort of here and now and not the it's the 70 miles to come thought processes that are not the best ones um to experience during an event like that i think aren't they? yeah yeah but, but i think what you said there also sort of touched on something else that i was interested in around goal setting because obviously it sounds as though the 20 mile an hour target was something you had in your mind but that obviously got you well beyond um the, the 13 hours so from the outset did you have a target that was sort of well below the, the existing record? Uh, yeah, well, I had, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm such a geek, I'm such a stats man, so I'd run the numbers through a couple of different software that would predict my time based on what power I wanted to put in. So I, I put in my Ironman power, and then I'd, I'd play around with the figures there, so if it was slightly higher or slightly lower. So I had a goal of 200 watts um, to aim for over the course of the whole ride. So I suppose from a macro perspective, that was the goal. Um, if I did hit those um, 200 watts, I knew I would come in. Um, I think the, the software predicted me um, 8 hours and 46 minutes. No, 8 hours and 38 minutes. And without stoppages, I was 8 hours and 45. So it's pretty accurate as long as the, the, you know, the stuff you put in is good. Um, but... From yes, yeah, so from a macro perspective, that was that was the goal. But from a micro perspective, getting there, it, it's not as simple to say hold 200 watts for the whole thing. You, you go through such such difficult times at certain times of the day. Sometimes you're putting it out too much. Sometimes you're putting it out too low. So I suppose it's just regulating your effort over the whole thing. 
Yeah, it's interesting what you say because listeners to the the podcast will know we've discussed on a number of times sort of different metrics that people use and how you sort of monitor intensity levels and uh, and whether you know wattage is something that you should be using. But interesting the way in which you've used it there because obviously you're going into something that's a little bit of the unknown. But that app seems to allow you to determine what was achievable for you, which is an important thing in terms of. You know, people experiencing anxiety and preparing for these sort of challenges is convincing yourself that this is something that's achievable. So, if you could sort of wrap that around what what did you knew you achieved in the past with the Ironman, I guess that helps you sort of feel as though this was something that was achievable. So, it doesn't sound as though you took too many breaks. So, you, did you say eight thirty-eight, and you did it in about nine hours? So yes. What was your, what was your average um, actual riding? Um, so if I had if I had um, twenty point six miles an hour was my average moving speed. Um, overall, it was twenty point one. Um, so I think okay. I, I only stopped a few times. It was literally for a couple of minutes at a time, just to sort my uniform out in certain areas and, and fill the drinks back up. But I think you've hit the nail on the head there about the confidence. Putting the numbers into that program gave me an idea of what I should be able to achieve. And as I said at the start, being a teacher, it, it's almost the same. Um, you know, you, you, you predict grades for people and then you tell them their predicted grades at the start of the year and that's what you want them to achieve. That's what, that's what they should be able to achieve. So it's the same with me, really. If I'm told this is what you are capable of, um, if it goes wrong, for me, there is always a scientific reason why it's gone wrong. Um, whereas some people will say, oh, you just had a bad day. Well, in my head, there's a reason why I had a bad day. It could be something I can control, like my nutrition, or it could be something out of my control, like lack of sleep or an illness. But there always, in my head, has to be a reason why something hasn't gone to plan. So to have a plan written down like that on paper, a number, um, just helps me, really. Uh, there were times where I'd, I'd turn the Garmin off and I'd have a blank screen and I would just ride until I felt a little bit better. But just having that overarching plan really helps me get through it. Yeah, no, it's, I, I, can, I can see that completely and how that would help. Um, I'm thinking now in terms of um, afterwards, and you mentioned sort of that you took quite a lot from it in terms of the psychology coming out of it, and that was one of the big things that you took out. So what, what are some of those big lessons that you think you've taken or things for you personally in terms of when you take on more normal challenges in the future, the things that you think you've taken from this that can help? Um, well, there are t- even though there are times where you think you, are, you can't carry on any longer, it's, it's always a sort of... It's your body just saying, well, I'm just going to pre-warn you that at some point soon you're not going to be able to carry on any longer. But this is just, this is just a pre-warning. Um, so that was one thing, that, that almost sort of never give up sort of thing. That the, I know it sounds a bit cliche, but you've always got a little bit more left in the tank. And try not to... The other thing I thought was don't look at the end. Don't think about 180 miles. Because as soon as I thought, oh, I've got X amount of miles left, um, that, that's when I really, really started to panic. But if I thought, oh, well, I'll, you know, in a couple of miles, I'll be at 60. In a couple of miles, I'll be at 70. And I really then started to chip, chip off the miles as I went along. And you think that's something that you could probably use to be an Ironman? Um, yeah. Some of the, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think um, the reason I've had such success at Ironman Wales before is because I know the course so well. I, without realising, I do chunk that into different bits. I break the bike course up into the first flat section to angle and then I'll have the second section, which is a bit hilly. And then, whereas if I look at it from a bigger picture, the whole course, 112 miles, X amount of elevation, it does panic me a little bit. And it's, it's a tactic I'm going to use with the swimming in future because the swimming is an area where I really struggle with. No, that's great. I mean, it's some, some, really some good stuff in there. And uh, I think uh, what you said there is just the. There's a lot, isn't there, in terms of what you can take from one type of event and transfer to another one. Um, and I think a lot of people are in that situation at the moment where they're doing these personal challenges uh, and they're probably things that they won't necessarily do again, hopefully, if things return back to normal. But I think there's a lot that people are learning from their, from the training, but also from the events that they are doing and the, the challenges they're taking on that they'll be able to take forward. So um, it's, it's good to hear those um lessons that you've learned as well so i think that's it from me i'm going to hand over to mark now and see if mark's got some further questions from his yeah. perspective 
I'm still laughing at the comment of, well, my knees felt a bit sore, so... Oh. <laughs> yeah. Rules too low or too high? Yeah, it might be, but equally, you know, 180 miles or over 20 miles an hour, so... Yeah. <laughs> it's probably that, isn't it? Yeah, my knee was aching a bit. I don't know why, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. And it's, it's, it is fascinating to see how many people have taken these challenges on this year because I think, you know, as endurance athletes, what, what happens is people, they just, it, it's such a big part of their lives, isn't it? Uh, I was only talking to my next-door neighbour the other day. He, he's a, my next-door neighbour design man as well. and So we talk about it all the time over the fence. And... Um, we, we both said we'd felt like, um, you know, this year had just been wasted. It was just a dead year and it's just passed by and it's like a year of your life gone. And, and then I made the comment to him and thought, God, are we that sad that because we haven't done an Ironman this year, we feel a life of our, a year of our life has been wasted because we haven't done an Ironman. And it's like the only thing that matters. And the thing is, we're a lot older than you as well. So for us, years matter. But um, but it is you know that, that when you when you're doing Ironman events and you you know if you're really into it and it's your your passion you really feel like you, you the years just kind of passing by and you've you've lost a year of your life but and people are just looking for these challenges like yourself we're doing the, the you know the south to the north Wales and something else to refocus and we talk about how many people during COVID have you know I was getting loads of emails I organised a virtual event recently. And uh, it was, and we had like two and a half thousand people do this virtual run. I was gobsmacked how many people emailed me and talked about their mental health quite openly. And I'm not, a, you know, I'm not a qualified person at all. But they felt like, as the organizer of the event, that they could email me about their mental health and how the, the, the event given them some focus. And it kind of made me realise that for, for for a lot of people, whilst I don't think that, I'm not trying to suggest that endurance athletes have mental health problems, but it is part of your your ritual, your lifestyle. You know, it's it's really important for people, not just for physical, but they feel like the whole routine has been disrupted. You know, so many different people in so many different ways, and so it's uh, yeah. And people have to have to find a way of, of of getting some kind of challenge. You know, but in fact, how long has this record stood? I'm just curious. When was the record set originally? Uh, the, the last person to set it was only last year. Um, but that's how it came to my attention on social media. But I think the person before that had held it for quite some time. So, yeah. I mean... I, uh, You're going to be the hunted now, aren't you? Well, yes. <laughs> well, bizarrely, uh, I mean, I'd, I'd love to have done it with a wind in the opposite direction. Yeah. And I'm, but, I mean, I, I, think, I think it will be broken, and I think it's uh, pretty, pretty soon. But I think yeah. that's great. I think it's great just to, for people to do these, these personal challenges. There was a a local lad who ran the full coastal path of Wales, wasn't there, in the last few weeks. And yeah. it's just amazing, Reese. And what an, what an achievement. And I think all of these people raising, raising the profile of endurance sports and doing these personal challenges is only a good thing. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. I think, was, I think and again, because of the whole social media thing, it gets bigger and bigger. And so I, I've no doubt that now people are going to see that record and fancy a crack at it. And then... So if someone here's a question for you, if someone does break that record, would you consider going back and have another go at it? Uh, somebody asked me this actually in school today, and I, I don't think I've got a, a future in ultra cycling. No, um, I enjoyed it, and but I think the, the charity raising was the bit that really hit home for me. That was the bit that helped me the most. I don't think I'm. I, there's these audaxes on there where people go out for hundreds of miles, and I. Yeah. I, I don't think that's for me. I, I, I've had a good crack at it. I had fun. Um, I had a really nice fast bike that I've tweaked and made it my own, and I and I love it. But I don't think I'll be doing that again. No. I think I'd be with you to be honest. Yeah. I think it's that kind of part of that life journey. This year was the year to do something like that. Absolutely. Give you a great focus point. Raise a load of money for charity. You're part of that. Uh, well, it's not an event, a record. You're part of that record history, and you always will be because you've held that record. And whatever happens after this, to some extent, doesn't matter. But yeah, I, I think it's. I think you're probably right, and it's great. Um, uh, I'm just curious with your training because I think with stuff like that, and I suppose similar with Ironman, really, you, it's always difficult finding a balance in it because 180 miles. If you're riding hard for 180 miles. It's which way do you go with the training? You know, it'd be very easy to tip the balance, wouldn't it, and start thinking, right, I need to be riding 200 miles plus on a regular basis, yeah. or, yeah. you know, and, and I think this is sometimes within, and we get this, asked this question a lot with ultra races, ultra runners, 
you get a marathon runner who will train. If they're training for a marathon, they'll go up to 20, maybe 22 miles. Yeah. And then you put the other four on on race day to do the 26. And then suddenly they enter a 50 or a 100 and they try to use the same logic and go, right, so, oh, well, if it's 100 miles, I suppose I should be running 80 miles in training. Then if I'm doing 22 to prepare for a 26-mile race, then how far do I run in an ultra? You know, and, it's, and it, the, um, I would say to people, you're probably better training a little bit less and at least being healthy and fresh for it than you are going overboard. And the reality is when you're doing that event, of course, 180 miles, it's, it doesn't matter if you suffer towards the end because you can take two weeks off afterwards anyway. So I'm just curious with your training where you pitched it. So did you do... I know you've mentioned you did a couple of rides of 180, you did 180 there over two days. Did you go for that approach of, I've got to get a lot of volume in? Or did you go for the approach of, let's be healthy, let's be fit, let's get the quality? I know I'm going to suffer, but it's a one-off and then I can, you know, have a beer afterwards and put my feet up for a week or two. Uh, yeah, the sec 100% the second one. Um, the, the gentleman, the, the guy who coaches me, Mark Whittle, um, he, we've always had a very, very progressive approach to training. Um, I know I mentioned earlier I was doing a lot of hours in lockdown, but apart from that, um, I, I only, pro I say only, I average around 12 hours a week and I have done for six, seven years. It's never a tremendous, tremendous volume. Sorry, 12 hours in total for, for triathlon. Yeah, for triathlon. And, and in the summer holidays, um, on the build-up to Ironman Wales, which is why I choose it, I have a nice four-week training block where I up to 18, 19, 20 hours. But that's, you know, compared to some full-time age group, as I call them, that's, that's not a huge amount. Um, mm -hmm. e even when I run the London Marathon every year, I only ever go up to about 40 miles a week. Mm. Um, so I think the less is more works much better for me. I, have, I, I usually have a tough, a tough turbo once a week, um, sometimes two tough turbos. I, I used to do a lot of training on my own, but I've since... I, I, what's really helped for me is I've broken triathlon down into three sports. I now train like a swimmer. I have joined a master swim club. Yeah. Um, because I was fed up of the pull boy and the, the, you know, everybody, you know, triathletes use pull boys. And I was, I started, I needed to learn to train like a swimmer because I wasn't very good at swimming. I joined Bridgend Running Club, a local running club, just to, on a, on a Thursday night, just to bring my, my faster running on a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then, the cycling, I do a lot of online Zwifting with other people. So whilst I used to train, it's quite an insular sport triathlon. I've tried to make it a little bit more group focused. And I found by treating the three sports as three separate sports early in the season, and then with a bit of specificity in the summer months, I found that I've really improved at all three now as separate disciplines. Yeah. So, yeah. so training wise for this challenge, it was really just a continuation of what I'd been doing. I'd been working to try and raise my power and then on the weekend I would do a longer ride and I would just gradually add a few miles every week to the longer ride there was no pressure to do a certain speed or power it was just go out with a friend enjoy yourself and as you say you'll hurt on the day there's there's no getting around it you'll hurt but if you know you've gone close to the distance or you, you you've gone quite far you'll be fine on the on the day which I was yeah 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 yeah, so you're riding like three times a week, a couple of harder sessions on the turbo or on Zwift, and then like a long one at the weekend. Yeah, exactly that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, um, and what about um, feeding and hydration and stuff like that? Did you have a specific plan, or did you work that out with someone, or did you just go off stuff that you like eating? And uh, No, I worked, I worked it out. Again, being a dweeb, um, I worked out how many calories I'd burn and how many I could take in. So I use beta fuel from SIS. Yeah. Uh, so it's really... Um, really calorific. I think it's about 300 calories a serving. Um, it's 80 grams of carbs instead of the usual 60, which you get. So I actually do feel it really works and it's, it's very filling. It's not too sweet and sickly. So I'd have one of those an hour. And that's mm. all, that's all I fueled Ironman with last year was just, just five of those on the bike mm. and no solid food at all. And, it, and it, it's worked for me so far. So, yeah. So you're just using beta fuel for the whole thing. Yeah, I, I did take some Trek bars to try and eat, but yeah. I found that they were so heavy. So um, the harder I was working, the, the harder it was to choose. So in the end, I just had half when I stopped. So as I was having a quick wee, I'd have a quick half a bar and then carry on. Yeah. Um, so so I, took in, I took in 2,560 calories, to be precise. Yeah. 
and I burnt over five and a half thousand. So I wasn't, I, it's not too bad. I, t- I did manage to take in half of what I burnt, which is, which is okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting with the nutrition side of it as well, isn't it? I suppose like different practices, like you, you've, you're taking liquid fuel there for the whole thing, aren't you? And, you know, a lot of people doing Ironman uh, feel that they have to eat solid food all the time. But in terms of digestion and breakdown and everything else, if you can, if you're okay with not chewing stuff and eating stuff and feeling you have to eat solid food, then you're probably right. Like I say, just taking, if you can, just taking liquid fuels because it's yeah. going to digest easier anyway. I think it's, you need to experiment. I mean, my first Ironman Wales in 2014, um, I actually stopped and asked a family on the side who were cooking a barbecue for a burger. I was in such bother. Um, so I walked all the way up to New Hedges up the hill with a burger in my hand. I had tomato ketchup. I remember they had the nicest onions. And I was walking up this hill, and I pretty much walked. A, a, well, I did a five-hour marathon in my first Ironman Wales. Um, yeah. it, was, it was brutal. And... I suppose you just progress there and you, and you try different things and you, you improve as an athlete and as uh, your knowledge improves and you just sort of refine it as you go along, don't you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think it's, uh, it's uh, you're just learning all the time, really, aren't you? Yeah. The, uh, I'm, I'm interested in, um, in your Kona goals as well. So, because I know that from a triathlon perspective, then you're in, you want to go to Kona. Um, what was your, uh, so was it, you did Wales last, Year we're 2019, we're talking about now, aren't we? 2019, yeah. the best performance at Wales, the best performance and the best weather, I think I'll ever have as well. So, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, it was, it was as I predicted. It was, um, I had a really good, I work, I work backwards because that's the order of this is best. Um, I had a really good run. I swam, uh, ran, I ran three hours 17, so I was over the moon with my run. Yeah, um, I had a 536 bike, I think it was. Um, and I, I said to my wife beforehand, I said, if I swim an hour five, we're going to Kona. If I swim an hour 10, we're not. And I swam an hour 10 on the dot and I missed out by four minutes. So, Was she furious? Ah, oh, well, that was going to be our honeymoon. We put our honeymoon off for a year because she'd agreed what a great honeymoon it would be to go to Hawaii. I could get my, my childish dream out of my uh, system and we could have a nice honeymoon. But so she's had to put it off now for another few years. You woke up the next morning, she was furious and Googling the local master's swim clubs. Yeah, exactly. That, yeah. And we went to the roll camp the next day, we went to the awards ceremony, and um, the age group above me, they worked their way down, the age group above me, the first four people didn't take their slots. So it rolled down to ninth, I think, and I thought, oh, this is superb. And then my age group, all but one took their slot, and I missed out by one. So, jeez. Oh, it's just the way it is. It's, uh... What age group are you in? I've now moved up. I'm in 35 to 39 now, so. Yeah, that is a competitive age group. I've got a friend actually who did Wales last year in that, in that age group and was saying to him how competitive it is. And the, because uh, I guess for that, really, so you've, you've got to be going sub-10 at Wales. Yeah, yeah that's, the actually, goal, that's the goal for next year now. Um, I sat down with a coach. That is next year's goal, sub-10. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's just a swim. If I, can, if I learn to swim, I'll be sorted. Yeah. Yeah, and you had Nathan Ford on a good few episodes ago, and I was thinking if you could give yeah. me if you give me his swim, I'd be very happy. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. He was about fifty-four swimmer, wasn't he, or something uh, like that? Yeah, he was well out of the water. He's almost twenty minutes ahead. I, I, I say this with with it's amazing like a lot of triathletes with who do an Ironman. And it's always in their heads where they say, well, and I, I guess people who know him for different reasons aren't there? Some people are doing it like yourself because they want to get to Kona and they want to do well in their age group or podium in their age group. And then you've got people who just want to get around the course. And I guess if you just want to get around the course, if you can swim the distance within the time limit, then fair enough. Yeah. But if you want to do well, um, then, then yeah, the, the, the swimming is the key, is one of the key things. And how many people just say, well, the swim, it's only, it's the shortest distance. And it's the least amount of time, you know, compared to the other two disciplines. So therefore, the swim actually isn't that important. And I usually find people who say that are usually people who are not very good swimmers. And they're usually looking for an excuse. And they want everybody else to agree with them. But of course, the amount of time you can lose in the swim is quite disproportionate. So like in your age group, you could probably lose 20 minutes to... The better to the best swimmers, yeah, absolutely lose 20 minutes in the space of an hour and 10, you know. Yeah, whereas 
you're not to lose 20 minutes within an hour and 10 of running would would probably or an hour and 10 of biking wouldn't happen yeah the amount of time you can lose on the swim is very very disproportionate but uh but yeah but it's uh you certainly feel like you're going in the right direction. Yeah. And I'm sure if you're going to be if you're going to be riding 180 miles uh, at over 20 mile an hour, it can't do you any harm for your bike training for next year, can it? I guess so. No, very yeah, true. That's exactly right. So, what's your goals for next year then? 2020, COVID gone. Next year, everything's sorted. What's going to happen next year? Um, so, London Marathon was. But yeah. they've now they've now moved it to October, which is two weeks after Ironman Wales. So. I've also lost my good for age slot um, because I set it a few years back. Oh, yeah. We were just talking about this. Yeah, it's very about frustrating. I have, to, I have to run a virtual yeah. marathon on the 4th of October if I want to keep it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not doing that. So um, I'm going to do Newport instead. It's much more glamorous, Newport. Anyway, it's a lovely part of the world. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so I'm going to run Newport Marathon in, um, in April. Um, yeah. What else have I got on the cards? Ironman Wales in, in September. Is this, it's pretty much, I've, my year's just moved forward a year. I've got a few little middle distances in Wales and yeah. a, few, a few half marathons. I have entered the Solver Swim, which is a, uh, they swim off, off the coast of Wales out. It's a two and a half mile swim. Um, I'm trying to put myself out of my comfort zone, really. Uh, you know, I'll enter 5K, 10Ks, all runs all day, but I never enter swimming events because I'm not very good. So, yeah. If they get better, I have to do it, don't I? So um, that's the yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? Don't swerve the stuff that you're not good at. You've got to go and confront it head on and work on the weaknesses. Yeah, yeah. So and then if you qualify at Wales next year, you're going to go to Kona the year after. Yes, I've, um, I've, had, I've had a very polite word in my head teacher and told him I may need a slight bit of time off, um, but it'd be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I just... I. I'd probably get there and I'll just think it's a complete anti-climax, but I just really want to do it to say I've done it and and then I'll maybe look for some different challenges. I'm not sure. But at the moment, I just I just love improving at the sport and I love how you can put certain effort into certain disciplines at certain times of the year and you see improvements. And I just I just really enjoy the community around triathlon. I think it's a brilliant bunch of people and um, everybody's sort of got the same things, same goals in mind and... So, yeah, I'm just going to keep yeah. plugging away, really. Yeah, well, I think it's great that you've been able to this year, you know, switch your focus. Because so many people, they have, I think, mentally just struggled with it. Because just loss of motivation. Because, they, you know, every time they think something's going to go ahead and then it gets cancelled. And then they think the next thing's going to go ahead and it gets cancelled. I think it's great you've been able just to refocus and switch it turn it into something really positive, including the fundraising and all that kind of stuff, which is amazing. Yeah. And just make, what you've done really is, is you've turned a year which would have been a non-entity into something which you'll no doubt remember for the rest of your life, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, um, it was, and I needed something that signaled the end of my season, if that makes sense. I was almost yeah. just training and training for something that may happen and may not. And now it's almost like well, I've done my A race, so to speak. I've done, and I can have a few weeks off now and, and get back into school life, get back into work mode, get routine back, which has killed me for the last six months. Yeah. And, and just go from there, get back in the gym. I've missed going to the local gym and I put a huge importance on strength training and things, which is why I've probably managed to stay injury free. Yeah. Uh, so it's just nice to get back to it now, I think, just try and get a bit of normality. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Um, I'm going to come back to Mike and Ian just before we finish. Uh, Mike, anything from you? Yeah, I jotted a couple of things down there, to be honest. I think something Craig said, which is super important, was the, the seven years now of the 12 hours a week. You know, it's that time plus time for consistency. That's, that's the cumulative secret that so many people either fail to learn or learn the hard way. Um, I think really important to... Um, Tip our hat to Mark and Lawrence and the team at Whittlefit. They're a smart bunch of cookies. They do sensible training and a smart approach. And most of their athletes are really successful as a result. So a big, big shout out to those guys. Whereas Craig said then about uh, done that, pick it off. I'm going to now focus back on the performance side of it. Well, as you guys know, I'm saving focusing my performance until 
the 65 to 69 age group. <laughs> so um, so while, while you guys are talking about that, I've been looking here. There's a record for south to north. There's a record for north to south. There's a record for up and back. There's an east to west, the west to east. Yeah. So I'm starting looking at all of those. Uh, but then just just final point for me was on, we talked about that psychology of how performers at long distance have switched to these self-challenges. I think my take home for the whole season with that stuff, for everyone who we've been so inspired by, is that very rarely in a long distance race of whatever flavour and sport it is, very rarely do you ever have a head-to-head competition against someone else. It is always in a mass field event, it's you versus you. And what these guys and girls have learned is that if you beat you, you're probably going to beat other people along the way. Yeah. So I think that's a real take home for endurance athletes this year. The last thing for me was was just Craig, is the link to the fundraising still open? It is, yes. yes. Where where can people, if they're inspired by your story, help and donate to such a good cause? Oh, that's a very good point. I will uh, just get it up. I have it on favourites. Um it's just giving forward slash fundraising, forward slash C buzz. C B yeah, we'll put that in the notes as well on the when we publish it on Podbean, we'll uh We'll put that in the notes so people can find it. Yeah, great. Thank you. There was um, there was one uh, lady actually commented um, who they were on their way home from their holiday in Wales, back up to Manchester, and they felt so moved by it they donated along the way up. So stories like that just make everything such worthwhile, don't they? It's just brilliant. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, Ian, anything from you? Yeah, it's just a couple of things just that you can just tell uh, coming through from Craig and is uh, an approach to. Uh, endurance sport and I think probably reflects why he's been able to carry on through this very difficult time and then take on a big challenge it's just like a there's a clear passion that's there throughout everything he talks about he's passionate um, and obviously quite scientific and his approach is quite similar to my own in, in some ways when I'm planning events so that was quite clear but that passion was something that was coming through throughout but also that and I think Mike just touched upon this as well, but that sort of keenness to learn and that self-improvement and always trying to, to learn from experiences is, is a really key thing that a lot of people can uh, take something from because um, it's very easy to get sort of tied up in um, performances and how you're doing compared to other people. But I think that if you're always focused on that self-improvement and areas of your own performance that you can improve on, as, as Mike mentioned, um, you, you'll always be moving forward in compared to, comparison to other people, but also it's just it's something that can motivate you through difficult times like this, where you haven't got the opportunity for competition, um, and it's those you know people with those characteristics tend to seek out these personal challenges uh, and do very well in them as well because um, um, they're often it's you haven't got those normal competitive elements there to drive you along so you need to be very self-motivated uh, in those circumstances so now it's been a really interesting interview for me from most perspectives yeah well how many times have we talked about process orientated versus yeah. goal orientated you know there's no one there to race no finished position i mean of course there's the time to aim for there's a record but it's just you in the process isn't it and just on your yeah. own and that yeah yeah Super. Fantastic. Well, guys, it was amazing to chat to you all. Thank you very much for coming on the show, Craig. Uh, Ian and Mike, a pleasure as always. And if you're listening, thanks very much for listening. Thanks for listening to the show today. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can follow myself uh, via the Endurance Store at Endurance Coach. You can follow Mike, the Endurance Physio, at the Endurance PT. And you can follow Dr. Ian Bordley at MD Sport X. That's MD Sport EX. Uh, you can also visit our website. You can visit theendurancestore.com, which is a local running shop near Wigan. And uh, we also offer the endurance coach testing and coaching services. And also just check out sportsinjuryfix.com, where you can find a sports injury specialist near you. Speak to you soon.